Welcome to the Independent Artist Podcast, sponsored by the National Association of Independent Artists. Also sponsored by Zapplication. I'm Will Armstrong, and I'm a mixed media artist. I'm Douglas Sigworth, glassblower. Join our conversations with professional working artists. Well, folks, welcome back to the podcast. Here it is. Douglas and I are back into our tiny little pro panel moving blanket sound booths and ready to go. This is an image I haven't seen for a while. You're back in uh, Santa Fe and you're in your closet. You're in your sound booth. I am in the closet, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. You'd think I'd be loud and proud at this point, but it's just not the case. I've got my, uh, I don't know. I feel like, are, what are these moving blankets made out of? Fiberglass? It feels like I'm going to be itchy. Okay. Could later. be. I don't know. Yeah, I'm waiting knows? for the I'll whole you know. whole contraption to come down on your head in the middle of this recording. That might add for an interesting topic here. Uh, just <laughs> delightful. You know, I, I find funny when I'm building these things, how much of my stuff I rob from my booth. Yeah. You know, the, the bag of clamps, the little um, rubber, uh, the rubber zip ties that, that Josh Tioli had suggested that I get instead of zip okay. ties, those things I'm using. It is a house of cards, but I think it'll be, I think All it'll right. work. We'll see how it well, goes. Well, I, I have some advice. Why don't you just get all new show stuff and leave this in your closet so every time you come off to a show, you don't have to rebuild it? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's great. You know how much I love advice. That's yeah, fantastic. right. I think he's about to tell me to fuck off, but he's in a good mood this morning. Uh, yeah, I had plenty yeah, of coffee. Yeah. He's good to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know me well enough. It's, you can smell it on I can me. Smell it. Uh, here it comes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> fuck off, Doug. All right. Okay. Well, it's good to see you. I honestly, I was in such a funk this weekend. Everyone was off having a good weekend, and I'm sitting at home saying I wanted to be in a show. Oh, really? I did. That's uh, I I think you need to lean into the Helen Gottlieb. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is pretty early in the preamble to bring this up, but my talk with Ella Richards this week gave me exactly the medicine that I needed. She nice. encouraged me to slow down and enjoy the small moments, and I did. I did that. So it, it, awesome. I, I kind of got my Good head on you. straight. Yeah, I got to spend uh, some good quality time with Ella and Brian and a lot of the other artists this past weekend, so it'll be fun. I have not had a chance to listen to your talk, but I had a couple of long talks with Ella. My, uh, We had to bring the dogs. We couldn't find a dog sitter. Okay. So we brought the dogs to the hotel, and they were kind of like the rock stars of the art show party. Were they? They were, they were hanging out, and, <laughs> and everybody seemed to be enjoying them, and if they didn't, they kept their mouths shut because they... <laughs> They know me well enough, I guess. I, but man, it was really great to have them. And my little black and white dog, Gidget, absolutely fell in love with Ella. Aww. So mark of good character, as far as I'm concerned. She doesn't warm to everybody. And, and Ella's just a wonderful person. Okay. Will you do me a favor here? Will you please, for everyone to hear, tell how difficult it is to bring dogs to shows? Because we are not getting a dog for that very reason. And I don't want Renee to overhear that it was just so easy breezy bringing a dog to shows. Oh, it was easy as hell. Oh, Renee, damn get a dog. It, damn you. Go rescue a dog. Go go out there right now. Yeah, you owe it to the world. Go out and get yourself a dog. So here's what we did. Okay. Uh, we The hotel, the artist hotel that we stayed in, yeah. that was dog friendly. In oh. fact, they've got a little dog sculpture of little like laser cut out dogs, whatever, oh. on leashes walking into the hotel. So that's your, your first key. You're either going to have to stay there or a dog friendly Airbnb. And then I used the, this is no plug, no, not getting any money off of this one, uh, but the Rover app. And oh. we just hired a five star 
college kid to come over and walk the dogs however many times that it needed to happen. So wow. she came by like two or three times during the day and the show was not dog friendly. So unfortunately, she didn't walk them over to see us, but they were super well, chill. Well, it sounds like there's an app for everything, right? You need a dog walker? There's an app, There's for, an app it. for that. You got it. <laughs> Look at you pulling up the uh, the the early 2000s Apple ads. We'll throwback. <laughs> Showing our age once right. again. But yeah, I, I found it to be pretty easy. And um, to be honest, uh, the comfort of having your, your dog there too is, was not a big deal. Okay. Well, I think the Radkeys are going to show up with their 11 cats at the next oh, show. What gross. do you think? That's not, those aren't <laughs> pets at that point. That's an infestation. <laughs> It's like, call the exterminator. <laughs> My God, 11 cats. Oh, I can smell oh, the ammonia pee smell from here. No, come on. Don't rain on Road Mom's parade. Uh, <laughs> cats suck, dude. <laughs> Not raining on anybody's parade. Cats are just the worst. Well, how did it go? How was the show this weekend? What what, what was it like? Tell me stories. Tell me more. Uh, I don't know. It's a show, dude. Okay, You've been to a show. I get it. <laughs> what did I miss? What did I miss? Come on, I tell me. I don't want to hear about shows. Do they want to hear about shows? Do you really are you are everybody tired of that? I know you now? are. <laughs> You're like, this is what okay. the show's well, about. Well, let me about the show. let me offer a congratulations. The big news out of the weekend was my good friend Oliver Schnorr winning Best in Show. That was pretty exciting. You know what? Not only did he win Best in Show, but it, it's it's pretty rare that a jeweler wins uh, the top prize. So right. um, that they recognized the quality and the expertise in his work uh, really. Amazing. Also amazing to see him using his two hands again after his major saw accident and the fact that he's up to such a high level that he can win uh, the top prize at, at a big show like that. I mean, I've always been so impressed with his work. It's very sculptural. But when that accident happened, he was very nervous about what kind of mobility he was going to get back. So it feels like yeah. he arrived back better than where he was before. It's uh, it's inventive work, but it's highly, highly skilled. And if you don't know what you're looking at as far as, as jewelry goes, like some of the jewelers can go by and, and drool at his mm -hmm. connection points and, and soldering and, and uh, the way he, he does his, his work. I mean, I've always admired the actual look of it, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot of skill. You know, there there are some incredibly skilled jewelers out there that we're lucky to have around us, and mm -hmm. and uh, he's one. So congrats, Oliver. Congrats, my Great friend. Good job. Weekend. You know, you asked about the show. What I find funny and interesting about St. Louis Arts Festival is you have directors walking around, like constant directors. I'm like, mm -hmm. here are the directors that I saw just on the scene. You had Stephen King running the Emerging Artist Program. Oh, really? You have the wonderful Sarah Jane Umloff, who's running the show with her partner, Tracy Morgan, who's just also an equal rising star on the art show director scene. Cool. You've got uh, Cindy Larrick walking around as an advisor who, I, <laughs> Cindy, who, who constantly, th this is her MO right. for the whole weekend. She's like, not my circus. <laughs> like, like, like you'd ask me like, you, like, hey, Cindy, how's it going? She's like, I don't care. It's not mine. <laughs> she's I a worker. Like, <laughs> she's, she's like, it's, it's not my show. You, I don't care if it rains. <laughs> she's, she's amazing. But you got Cindy Lyric there in kind of an advisory uh, position or just really there just experiencing the cool. whole thing. Um, Saw so, uh, Camille Marchese walking oh, around Oh, I heard she was there too. Yeah. Yeah. She was there to kind of experience the Emerging Artist Program because it is a, a top-notch program. And she was there with the, the director of uh, Oklahoma City. Oh, sweet. A, a, a shout out to here in a minute as well as part of their, their advertising right. call to arms, I guess. I will also send a thank you. Sarah was amazing when I had to call two weeks before the show to 
break the news that I wasn't going to be able to come. And, you know, she answers the phone and she says, I hate hearing from artists a week before the show. This is not a good sign, is it? And I said, no, it's not. But she met me with such warmth and compassion and said, it's okay. You just take care of you. And it was just, she's just so sweet. She really cares about us as artists. And I, I really, really appreciated that reaction. Yeah, she's she's definitely one of the good ones. I, I'm not surprised to hear that at all. Just kind of uh, comforted to hear that that is the case. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. So what else you got going on? Uh, I've just been, we've just, you know, nose to the grindstone in the studio. I can't put in as long a day as with my situation, my physical condition, but we are yeah. getting some quality time in. This um, installation that I talked about last episode is in full full worker zone. First step with any project like this when we're doing a, an installation is just getting color samples. Okay. Boring as hell, but it is like a science project. You can't, as glass blowers, you can't just go and order color that you look at on a catalog. You have to buy it, take a risk, make it, see how it turns out after you've made it, and then make something different. So it was a lot of trial and error, science experiment kind of gotcha. stuff that is just yeah. tedious. It's, um... That is tedious. It's a great story for a podcast. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Will. <laughs> you are... that's, that's fascinating. That's just great. <laughs> Why don't you enlighten us with some of your fascinating stories? Oh, right I'll now. bring it to you. Got, I bought some more paint. All right. So I was having that conversation with Patricia at the art show, and we were talking about just that interaction right there. I was like, we were talking about the, just the podcast in general, and she was talking about our rapport that we have. And I wouldn't say it's an oil and water thing that we have. I think it's more of an Ernie and Bert thing that we have. Really? Yeah. Okay, and let I, me hear I your theory her, on this one. What I like is that we bring different things to the table. Totally. Like, oh, I yeah. think we're very close friends, but it's like, we just have different views on on things. But That's I, good. I always figured I was like the happy-go-lucky, waka-waka guy. And then I go back and listen to myself on these shows, and I'm like, I'm Bert. I'm like grouchy, and it ain't no character I'm playing. But It is interesting, because I do think of you that way, too. I think of you as like, laugh a minute. You're very clever, razor-sharp wit. And it is funny that you kind of adopted this persona. <laughs> I don't know that it's. A, I don't know that I've adopted it. It's just this is this is me. But uh, honesty is what you get. Um, man. Anyway, my favorite part of St. Louis, honestly, besides you know we talked about how it runs, but the fact that we are all in a hotel that's right there at the art show, and everybody's kind of staying there. It's a it's a really good rate that they get you for the the show. Mm -hmm. We're all staying there. So, okay. And they have a really big bar and really good food at the restaurant. It's mm. a really great restaurant. It's open till 1030. So, and they don't mind us coming squeaking in at 1025 or whatever to order some food. They expect us to. They're not like pre-closing um, down at a quarter to 10 and then you get there. No. I mean, they're really not. No. I mean, it, but it's, it really is. It's like old home week. Um, mm -hmm. Tate Hamilton and his wonderful wife, Sammy, are there at a big table. They're sitting there holding court with the Harmstons and Brian and Ella there, Ray, Alphonse, and Patricia. I mean, it was just, it really was, uh, met some really cool new people as well. Uh, oh. Shout out to our our new good friend and fanboy of the podcast, Craig Terry, 
who had some really kind things to oh, say cool. too. So I've never taken a selfie with somebody just because of the podcast. That made me feel weird. So, so uh, that happened. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. So that they happened. Were, yeah. They, he fanboyed out. I'm teasing him a little bit. That's, that's fun. That's good time. Oh, cool. That's that sounds like fun. Yeah, I mean the nice thing about it too is that like it's a hotel bar too, so it, it is a little strict. So um, you're there at ten thirty. I think they close at midnight. You know, no drinks or whatever after midnight, and it's like okay, well we've all had our fill. We got to work tomorrow. Right, so right. It does. They do put it, you know, you have one or two and you're like, man, should I have another one? And then like the bar's like, no, we're closed. Get out of here. <laughs> it's like the options are made for me. Time, to, time go to sleep. for bed. Time to go to sleep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sunday night, though, it did last a little bit longer. There were much more of us. Uh, people were, you know, more revelry Sunday night and it's, it's lasting late. Right. I mean, we're talking probably like 40 or 50 artists were in the bar yeah, at cool. this point. Well, there's nothing like celebrating after you've got that hard breakdown done, show's over, you just kind of feel that relief. It's a, it's a good yeah, period. for yeah. sure. Yeah. Breakdown went super smoothly. What I love about the St. Louis breakdown is that it's probably the least micromanaged breakdown in the country, I would say. We know those are your favorite. They really are. And like we take care of ourselves. Uh, they give us the entry points. Um, you use a little common sense and it went really far. Like uh, we worked our, our way out. Don't ask David Bierstrom how smoothly it went because he and he and his <laughs> husband broke down so quickly oh. that they were ready to go. And then the street was just clogged with emerging artists like trying to squeeze like seven paintings inside of Mini Cooper. But oh, boy, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't their fault, but it did get clogged at the end. And, and I could see steam coming out of Bill's ears a little bit. And, and uh, David seemed to be he was the voice of reason, like, don't jump out of the car. Okay. Just wait another minute. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. But they had a uh-huh. long drive back to, to Pacific Northwest. So. Calm, cool, collected David Bierstrom. All right. Yeah, right. right. Uh, meanwhile, get him online. <laughs> He'll rip him a new one. <laughs> so anyway, like Sunday night, Douglas, it goes, you know, huge party there. Uh, it ends up that the boyfriend of an artist we all know, and I'm not going to call her by name because I'm going to trash on her boyfriend. It's funny. Okay. But uh, he's got a key he's a hotel uh something with a key like he works with hotels and he's got access like roof access Uh to all of these different hotels and this major pass key that he can go around this guy's loaded by the way i mean he's just completely obliterated i mean like chipmunk in the pickle jar like like hiccups like anybody want to go to the roof and see the roof and and ray and i are kind of like very good thing for somebody who uh just having trouble stringing words together. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, let's definitely go to the roof with a, with this stranger. And so we, he manages to get together this big group of artists. We're all going to go to the roof, yeah. and we're stumbling up there, and he's trying to get us to be quiet. And, and Ray just goes, I've never seen anybody just put the halt on an activity quicker. He's like, yeah. nope, fuck this. This is... <laughs> Yeah, you've heard Ray on the show. Yeah. He's like, nope, we're not doing this. Nope. And the guy goes out on the roof by himself and we're we're following him. We're like, nope. And he, I'm like, okay, I'm following Ray. Ray has a better instinct than I do. He's, right. he's been in it. So I just follow him. He gets every artist back on the elevator. We go back downstairs. He's like, we're not following this guy. This guy's an idiot. We're not doing this. Ray and Alfonso like, is the voice of reason here, ladies he and gentlemen. Is, man. He's like, not going to jail today. This is not happening. So I just love his... 
direction and uh, courage of his convictions of just like saving our asses from uh, a night in jail because it was just uh, it just seemed like a super bad idea. Yeah, right. Well, (laughs) it's story time here on the podcast, Douglas. I pulled up uh, some writing. Uh, Do you know the author Neil Gaiman at all? I don't. A lot of his stuff goes to film and TV. American Gods, he wrote, which is uh, an award-winning book that came out a while back. They made a show on Showtime. He's got Sandman on Netflix right now. He's uh, oh. really an amazing author. He's one of my favorites, especially to listen to on the road. But awesome. this quote popped up, and I thought it was apropos. He's talking about his audiences, and he doesn't do sequels for his writing and a lot of us have to kind of make it again and again in order to get by and then some of the people we talk to don't duplicate and they don't do any kind of production work they just make one of a kind so okay um Anyway, I thought this was kind of cool. He says, that's how audiences work. They say, hey, I love strawberry ice cream. Can I have more? In response to that, I can do one of two things. I can give them more strawberry ice cream. If I do that, I'm doomed to give them strawberry ice cream for as long as I do this thing. And I'll hate myself. Or I can go, nobody's clamoring for chocolate ice cream. Nobody even knows they like chocolate ice cream. However, I want to do chocolate ice cream next. So why don't I do chocolate and keep my own interest up? It's how the entirety of my writing career is gone. He goes on and says, some authors are dolphins and some are otters. You can train a dolphin, give a dolphin a fish. If it does a trick, it'll do that trick again. Otters are untrainable. They'll do something and you give them a fish and then they'll do something else. Because why would they want to do the thing they already did? I tend to be an otter. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that ties into the episode. I know you'll get to listen to it maybe later today or tomorrow, but what Ella brings up in her talk, and she talks about how it is so important for us as artists to have that connection to what we're making. We're not just recreating. We're not just creating a product that for our work to have desirability, marketability, it needs to continually be fresh and it needs to have a deep connection. We need to look at the work and it needs to speak back to us. We can't just look at it and go, eh, you know? Right, right, right. But I I will say this. I mean, dolphins are some of the smarter animals in the animal kingdom just because they don't do the same thing over and over again. I mean, I don't know. I... I feel like there is some repetition that has to happen within all of us in order to make a living. If you, you'll you make yourself insane making the same thing over and over again, but you'll mm-hmm. also make yourself insane trying to come up with a new idea absolutely every time. And yeah. sometimes it's just a variation on the theme that keeps it fresh. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've done a saloon piece a number of different times, but mm-hmm. I always have to change the people in the bar, have to change the people doing whatever. And uh, whatever the collage is just to try to uh, keep it fresh for myself. So the nature of what we do, we kind of go at it with a similar idea that we might have been doing over the years, but each piece we make is so different. I mean, they can look vastly different and it's kind of like what you're saying, making it fresh every time. That's kind of baked into the cake for us is when we spin out a piece of glass with multiple colors and they expand organically. I fall in love. And some of them I look at and I don't fall in love with, but every piece is new. And it the failure makes me go, I want another crack at this. And mm. the successes make me want to chase that high again. So, I mean, I, that's kind of what my process is like. Right. Yeah. This this whole thing is an addiction. It's oh, a, it is. <laughs> it's well, a I thought about problem. that with feeling down about not being at the shows. It's like I've thought of what we do as artists. We make our work. 
And that's only part of the component. There's a lot of artists out there who don't sell their work in person like we do. Yeah. There is that part of us being like musicians who who tour or stand-up comics. It's like we need that connection. We need that feed from the audience. And so I I felt that this weekend. I felt that my head was in the game to have two more shows left and it was it was cut off before I was mentally prepared for it. So I kind of was left <laughs> I was kind of left feeling Jones in for for another art show, you know. You're a weirdo. I'm yeah. <laughs> I think plenty of people are with me on this one. <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying, kind of. Um, kind of. I don't know. I, I, I like I like being home. <laughs> what a yeah. stay home. Yeah. 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 No, but that that being said, I did a show last weekend, and I'm doing one uh, coming up here next week. Not this coming weekend, but the following sure. um, in Kansas City, and I'm I'm actually excited about that one. So that's mm-hmm. that's always a big big fun show. It's another ten o'clocker. It's a party. It's another party. What's up with Missouri making us work till 10 o'clock at night? Because they've got the beer booths and the bands playing till 10 o'clock. Yeah, so, I guess. You know. St. Louis is not a big uh, drinking show. They seem to have control of themselves more than okay. – um, I mean, there are there's alcohol available, but people, you know, yeah. they walk around and they have a beer or two. I feel like Plaza, they're walking around like a – like there's always some kind of vessel to carry beer in, you know? Sure. like Like some kind of like – I'm like, is that a, a signature vessel you're saying? No, it's like a fishbowl or like a bucket. Oh. They've got like a, a McDonald's straw in. It's like multicolored yeah. straw or like there's always some kind of vessel that's a little too large. It looks like a Home Depot bucket, uh, intravenous mm-hmm. IV. It's just, I don't know. It, it oh, seems yeah. like they take their drinking Midwest serious in Kansas City. Well, we're vessel makers and people walk in our booth and they're like, could I drink beer out of this? And I'm like, yep, feel free. Thousand bucks. You can drink anything you want out of that thing. <laughs> Not mine anymore. You got a credit card. Whatever you want in there. Colostomy bag. Let's move on to our interview this week. What do you think? Nah, more nauseating banter. More nauseating banter. Let's okay. Do, yeah, All let's right, do well, that. The opposite of nauseating banter is our dear friend Ella Richards. I say this about a lot of people, but man, is she just a dear, dear human. I just could not think more highly of her and her work and her husband, Brian. And they're just tremendous, tremendous folks. So um, She really connects on an emotional level. She yeah. like looks into your soul and she says the thing you need to hear to make you feel seen and connected. And I really have enjoyed her over the years and I enjoyed this talk a lot. And I'm happy to that everyone's going to get a chance to listen. You know what then, Douglas? Let's just get right to the talk. Ella Richards from New York City. This episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is brought to you by Zap, the digital application service where artists and art festivals connect. Well, sometimes I'm in a real hurry, and I just love that I have things that are saved in Zap to streamline my process. Saving shows as favorites is my personal way of using Zap. Uh, That's my favorite. Uh, I know a lot of people use the calendar, they use the events, but for me, if I'm saving the favorites of anything I've ever looked at or thought about doing, then I can check out those deadlines on a regular basis. But then there's other times when I have a little more time on my hands and I'm looking into other shows. All the information is right there in the prospectus with links to the website. I can see who the artists are that have participated in the past. That's a great idea, Douglas, because one of the ways that I was finding shows at the very beginning was to go online and see who I felt my work looked good with. It's just great that all that information is organized and easy to look over when planning our next show season. 
You know, Douglas, I had a chance to meet Seth Lewis over the past weekend, the director for the Oklahoma City Arts Council art show there in OKC. That's a show that I've done over the years. Yeah. It's amazing the amount of people who come. The crowds are huge at that show. It's a commission-based show, so mm-hmm. our success is actually dependent on their success. So we're all kind of working together as far as that goes. And one cool thing about those kind of shows is that you know the numbers. You know what you're looking for at. For sure. There's 144 exhibitors at that show, and annually they bring in in around $2 million. So wow. that's a pretty good slice of the pie right there. If we're doing the math on that, Douglas, we're averaging out about thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 per artist. Those, those odds are pretty the good. The first few hours of the first day of the show, they have something called Festi First. And it's a lot of corporate buyers, they come in and they have recorded that they do over six figures in that first couple of hours on the first day of the show. Unzip that tent bright and early on Tuesday morning and be ready because the money starts flowing. You see quite a bit. The application deadline is just around the corner. It's September 30th, so jump on that. The show dates are April 25th through the 30th. It's a six-day show. Our other call to entry this week is from a show that you're familiar with. It's in Greenville, South Carolina. It's Artisphere. Artisphere. It's one of those jewels of the South. It can mm. really be an anchor for your show schedule. They keep the artist numbers fairly reasonable. There's about 135 to 150 artists that participate in that show every year. And I think that's really good for the size of their community. It takes place on one long street, so it doesn't really matter if you're at the top or the bottom of the street or the middle. People walk the whole thing from Farmer's Market all the way to the other side towards the baseball stadium. It's a beautiful show, and they take care of us really well. That's awesome. I've had a chance to take a look at their website because I've thought about adding it to my schedule, and I will say that the list of artists is top-notch. It is a top-notch quality show. A lot of graduations happening around that time, and it's kind of a college town, so a lot of people come out. It's Mother's Day, too. They bring mom out on on Sunday and, and do the stroll. It's 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 always a good time. All right. So this application deadline is October 3rd. That's coming up. The event dates are May 12th through May 14th. It gets kicked off on Friday at noon. Runs through Sunday, Mother's Day, 514. That's May 14th, 2023. I better get on there and apply to some shows, Douglas. I got my application in. I hope I get in. Ella Richards, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I feel very honored. Oh, (laughs) it's so good to see you. I mean, I I started following you. I followed a lot of artists over COVID. You know, even though it was such an awful time, I like fell in love with your New York posts. I mean, I think of you as this New Yorker, this New York artist. Can you tell me about what it's like being in New York? What uh, that means to you? Well, New York is home. Good or bad, it's home. It's a place I feel like I truly belong to. I don't see myself being anywhere else. I think it's a wonderful place for an artist to be because everything is here for you. The best and the worst of our lives, the most glamorous and not so glamorous. So it's kind of like... You get get both ends of the spectrum then? Yes, and I feel like it's like New York is like, it's a theater of life. You come out of your apartment building you don't know what you're gonna see you don't know what you're gonna hear you don't you don't know who you're gonna run into you don't know what kind of experience you're gonna have that day so it's pretty much unpredictable which makes it very special especially for an artist who likes to observe things and take them in and think about them think about them and somehow put them into your art because i don't see myself separated from new york because it's so much in me that every day walk i have a 
little dog when used to go out twice a day. So twice a day we'll go outside, and she's pretty scandalous. So. <laughs> she is okay. <laughs> she likes. But are you saying that these walks are a source of inspiration for your work? Uh, and I like to actually. I like to take a walk before I start working because you don't mm-hmm. know truly you don't know what's going to inspire you whether maybe it's a beautiful yeah. sunlight maybe kind of a very great day maybe empty streets so people when they bump into you and they don't say sorry i mean just mm-hmm. walking around i think it clears your head you kind of see things you didn't know exist you don't know like who is going to see you? Who is going to talk to you? You don't know who is going to reprimand you about your dog barking at somebody else. So it's kind of like, I like to kind of <laughs> just get out of the apartment and just see the life going, passing by. Right. Maybe not going into like a walk with a preconceived notion of what's going to happen to you. You're just kind of open to right. receive whatever kind of experiences are coming through right, that day. Right, it's not like a typical like a residential neighborhood because you don't really run into the same people in the neighborhood because there are there is an mm. NYU, there are a lot of tourists. So there is no really it's oh, right. there is no really prediction. Were they gonna were they okay. gonna see a person you know, or were they gonna see somebody you should say hello to, or whether it's gonna be somebody who's gonna ask you, How are you doing today? Quite often on the, on this walk I don't actually meet or see anybody I know at all. So it's always really? something new every day. Sure. After the walk, I come back home and maybe I draw something, I write something down, I, I write things in my diary, what I what I saw, what I should really maybe like put into my art. So sometimes it's almost like an adventure. You don't know what you're going to see. Okay. And it's interesting right. because quite often you run into people and you see them once in your life, but they kind of like stay in your memories and they stay in your thoughts. So you kind of feel like, oh. So you're saying your experiences, it may just be a moment in time, but that experience can stay with you for a long time. I mean, yeah, it, it means something. Right. Like, for example, a couple of days ago, like I was walking down the street and there were two women who were like looking at them up, trying to to understand where they were located. And mm-hmm. one of them, by mistake, hit me on my face. They were from Italy, and they were like, like the body Gesturing language. Gesturing with the hands on. and everything. Right. Yeah. And she got startled. She was very apologetic. And I asked her, well, do you need help? Do you know where you're going to? And they told me they were wanted to go. We actually ended up taking a walk together because they couldn't actually find the street. And they told <laughs> me they were from Italy, and they talked to me a little bit about they actually adventures in New York. And it's like, it's funny because it was the first and the last time I would ever see them. But I mean, the interaction was so interesting. So I was thinking, hmm, I think maybe I want to make some kind of piece based on those two ladies, like standing in the middle of Broadway oh. and kind of like going on and on and on and like suddenly hitting me on the face. Right, right. And then we ended up being like friends for 20 minutes. Okay. Well, I mean, there's that element too. Being in New York City, it's such an international spot. It's it's mm-hmm. like you people from all around the world are coming in and out of the city there. Well, there's a saying: you don't need to live New York to travel the world. I mean, you oh. just go from from one border to another. I mean, if you go to Queens, there is a one neighborhood flashing. I mean, everyone speaks Mandarin. If there's a Korea town, I mean, if you go to Spanish Harlem, I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's kind of like it's a city of neighborhoods. People don't think like that, but yeah. I mean, you can go to a neighborhood where you wouldn't hear any English spoken. Like mm. you go to Coney Island, a lot of people from the Soviet Union. The mm. former Soviet Union ended up, so they speak, they speak Russian. You go to Greenpoint, they all speak Polish. So it's interesting how it's mm-hmm. true. I mean, you can go from one border to another and 
traveled the world. Oh, how long have you been in New York City? Yeah, I've been here like I came very young, about like 40 years. I mean, all of most of your life. Right. You came mm -hmm. from, where did you say, from the Soviet, Soviet Union? The, the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that had to be just an odd transition. Did you speak any English? Was that just quite a, um, quite an acclimation yeah, for you? Well, it, immigration, like real immigration, is a very, it's a very difficult human act of deciding what to do with with your life because my mom and I were political refugees and mm. uh, being a refugee there's nothing glamorous about it there's nothing adventurous about it there's nothing like exciting about it because you leave everything what you knew behind you leave your friends you leave your language you leave any kind of knowledge you have mm. for a lot of people it's one of the hardest thing they've done because you really like you start your life all over right but you're not starting your life all over in a place where you speak the language in a place where you have a support group in a place where you know a lot of people but you're starting in a country where you don't know anybody and you don't speak the language and nobody really cares about you mm. there are a lot of days when you feel terrible and scary and frightened and you right. don't know what's going to happen with you so what you do you only hope and dream mm -hmm. and this is what really takes you through i mean hopes and dreams are something like as, a, as humans we cannot stop it doesn't matter where you live it doesn't matter what your condition as humans we need to hope we need to we need to dream right. otherwise we cannot we cannot survive right. and and i think my hopes and my dreams really took me through my life. Well, I watched a, a talk that you gave, the Storytellers series uh, from the Des Moines Register. Mm -hmm. Was that one? And right. you talked about the, those first connections you made here in the U.S. with right. with this passerby, or like you're describing right. here, like right. your daily walks. Can you tell me a little right. bit, tell the, our listeners about that that story? Um, well, the story was when my mom and I arrived to New York with Dina. To be honest, we didn't know anything. We didn't speak the language. We didn't know anybody. I didn't even know it was a different metric system in this country because I remember when we arrived and we were standing at JFK waiting for somebody to pick us up. I look, it was a display of time and temperature. And when I look at the temperature display, it says 96 degrees, which <laughs> it scared my mom and me because we didn't know actually the temperature can go that high. So my mom like was kind of like she was holding me. It's like, where did we end up? Why is it so hot here? And This is what my mom told me. Like we ended up in hell because she told me like, what, what's that? I mean, the highest temperature I have ever experienced was 40 degrees. <laughs> What's going on here? So it really scared us because we didn't know. And, and you know, JFK, there are tons of people and people walking, people screaming, and we hear all kinds of languages. So the beginning was kind of rough. Yes. But then the person <laughs> picked us up, uh, took us to Manhattan. And at that time, Manhattan was a little bit different from it is right now. It was late uh, mid-80s. It was a little bit a rougher place. Okay, okay. Washington Square Park was quite quite really interesting because all kinds of things happen there. But on the other hand, there were still like a lot of residents in this neighborhood who were born in this neighborhood, who grew up in this neighborhood, who, are, who spent all their lives in the neighborhood. And a lot of them were like either the first generation of immigrants or maybe actually they were immigrants themselves as children. Okay. So they're still like, I mean, it was kind of like, it was a community of people who actually could pinpoint somebody new in the neighborhood 
And I could see that, like, uh, we didn't know anything. We didn't speak the language. I carried a big dictionary in my hands. I was young, so I was strong. Sure. So I had yeah. a big big dictionary. So just in case if somebody asked me a question, I would open the right page. And quite <laughs> There was no scrolling have, through a phone or a screen no, back then. No. So, no, no, no. So quite often the conversation would be like, a second, a second. Putting Let up your finger, saying, one yeah. minute, I'll look. You, yeah, you find a word, they would say, this is the word. So the person would take the dictionary, go to the other part and find another word and saying, this is the word. So actually, there was a lot of people who wanted to help you. I mean, there were really like kind of people who really would tell you, like, what can you do and where you can do your shopping, where it's less expensive. It was people who were immigrants in that neighborhood, maybe from all different parts mm-hmm. of the world. It wasn't right. regional, but you could bond over that. People would help each other based on the fact well, that you all had that same background. I think it's not. We, a lot of them, we actually, we came from different parts of the world. I mean, the right. background wasn't the connection. I think when you're just very new to this country and you don't know anybody, I think maybe there's sort of like fear in your eyes or maybe you, the people feel like you were intimidated or if people feel like you're completely lost and you don't know. And especially if some people went through that, I mean, this kind of like, you cannot explain this connection because it's a human connection which doesn't actually have like a logical explanation. You just suddenly feel somebody's fears or somebody's pain or somebody's kind of like you feel lost. You just like, you just want to ask somehow to indicate, well, we're not your enemies. We're not going to do anything to you. We just want to help you. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it actually works. I mean, I'm not really a scientist to explain how human emotions work, but sometimes mm-hmm. you just feel it that somebody there is not actually threatening you, not trying to do something bad mm-hmm. to you, but actually trying to tell you, well, maybe you should go to this daily instead of that because it's less expensive. Or maybe you should go, like, if you want to buy new clothes, there's, let's say, a salvation army store instead of going to a department store. Right. At first, you're like in a protection zone. Right. I could be very vulnerable. People could steal from me. People could harm me. I have mm-hmm. to be very suspicious of any uh, right. any kind of interaction. Right. It sounds like over time, people can read each other and kind of feel that similar experience that they come from and they can feel the genuineness. Is that maybe what you're saying? I of, think of so. The offering? I think so. Right. I think so, because I feel like sometimes we simply cannot explain our feelings, right? Because sometimes we totally. we just ex- we sometimes we experience fear and we don't know why we're afraid, right? I mean, like you'll stand next to somebody and suddenly you feel uh, some kind of like, I don't feel comfortable st- standing to this person. But sometimes you feel like somebody looks at you and you can see kindness in this person's eyes or you can see some kind of help is being offered. Mm-hmm. And you know it without actually analyzing it without actually thinking like, well, should yes. I talk to this person or should I not? Right. Well, I can relate in the sense that when my son, and this is totally different, but I, I think the root is the same. When my son was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes as a first grader, and our whole world was changed on how do we care for our child? How do we keep him safe? How do we take care of his his needs? We felt so alone because we didn't know anybody who who dealt right. with that. But then over the years, as we met other parents who experience that, it, there was this unspoken commonality. Even if we didn't know each other, we just knew we could we could just look at each other and say, oh, right, when this particular stress that feels so unique mm-hmm. to somebody in your own experience, you just get it. And it's such a relief to have that. Right, right, right. Exactly. Like I was talking to somebody who has a child with Down syndrome and he told Mm. me exactly the same when there is like we see another parent with a child with a Down syndrome, there's immediate connection. 
Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in the in this uh, storyteller series, you talked about meeting a woman who was kind of a really good connection for you. Can you tell us about that? Well, it was very interesting because whenever she saw my mom and I walking down like the alley, like she was sitting on the bench. No, she was actually in the wheelchair, but she was next to a bench with a caregiver. And she would always kind of like, like kind of point on the bench sit next to us. I mean, she kind of wanted to talk to my mom to see who she was. Because I think for my mom, it was much more difficult to adapt to a new country because my mom's life story is a bit sad. She was quite lost. She didn't know where to start. And I think like her fears were were mostly for me because she felt she lived her life and she she achieved certain things, but she wanted me also to be successful, not to get lost and not to, to go the wrong path. So my mom, I think, maybe looked more frightened okay. than I did because as a child, you adapt easier. Maybe like you're afraid, but you know, like you're kind of more adaptable and more For accepting. Sure. You're, more, you're more like a sponge. You like you start taking things in slowly. Yeah. And you also have a trust that the people in charge, the people taking care of you, they've met that that they've got it all figured out. But when you're the right. person exactly. who has to have it all figured out, it's a whole different position. You've got you've got this little little Ella to take care of and make right, sure exactly. she's safe and and good. I didn't question my mom. She brought me here, sure. so I was like, <laughs> she knows what yeah, she's right. doing. And again, there is like you know, as humans, we are very interesting creatures because we can go either like completely terrible way and look down at people like who just came to this country and tell them go back home or mm-hmm. like we don't need you here like what are you doing here or we can actually like sure. stop for a second and think well it's not that difficult really to help people it's not that difficult to give a piece of advice or it's not difficult to give a kind word i mean we're not talking about financial help or help we're not talking about something like i'm gonna give you an apartment right but we're talking about right. emotional help so i think as human yeah. As, hu- as human beings, we can go in two different directions. We can go like, I don't want to see you. I don't want you to be here. You came to this country. It's time for you to go back where you came from, which I have heard right. too. But Or you can just say like something like, well, hello. Yeah. Why wouldn't you sit next to me? So this woman started teaching me like uh, one English word a day. So this so became she, a regular meeting with her. Right. Like one day I learned the word bench. I didn't know. So she would point and said bench. Then the next day went sit. I said. <laughs> so we said, so did, I knew two words, sit and bench. <laughs> <laughs> and did she know your your language? She she just knew English? No, no, and no, so she, she was, was teaching she you was English? Actually, no, she was actually, she was a Jewish woman from Poland who actually oh. survived a concentration camp. She had her numbers oh. and everything. And wow. I mean, the, her story was interesting. But also, like, she was a person who experienced the worst of humanity. It's interesting right. because it's, again, an example, like, you can come out of from the concentration camp as a really angry person yeah. and say, like, why did it happen to me? I didn't deserve it. I mean, I was a child myself. And you can get angry. Or you can actually become more humane. You can feel the human pain much stronger. And I think this will happen, that you saw mm-hmm. us so lost with our lives and not knowing what we wanted to do. So for her, even though she was really old at that time, in a wheelchair, she wasn't able to walk, she wasn't able really to do anything. But I think like on a human level, mm. she felt our pain and she felt our like fear. She was so, like an empath. She was right. really empathetic to you and your mother. And and you said she would wait for you? like she Every you, single day. She'd be there mm-hmm. every day? So you were meeting with her every day? Twice a day. 
So I was learning like four Twice a day. Words. Yeah, I was uh, learning like four words a day, <laughs> English words. Okay. One okay. of the first words I learned in English was school and education. Because she, what she was telling my mom, mm-hmm. she was talking about to her about education. And she was telling my mom, with again, with addiction, it was quite interesting because our meetings were very long. Because it's not that easy to use a regular addiction when you were trying to have a conversation both ways, right? Yeah, for sure. And so it's interesting because she didn't do anything physically to us right she didn't give us money she didn't give us clothes she didn't give us anything but what she gave us she gave us human compassion human understanding and human Mm -hmm. support which quite often is really difficult to get and i think she actually taught me really really good lessons life lessons don't judge Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. judge don't look at clothing don't look at how people Mm -hmm. look don't look how they sound don't judge them if they cannot respond to you, if they cannot say. The most important thing that if you can listen, listen. If you cannot listen, be patient. I mean, the person mm-hmm. is going to come around and somehow you're going to make the connection. And I think, like, she taught me a lot of patience, which I think it's where a lot, a lot of us lack right now, patience, because we right. want things to, to happen very quickly. We can all feel what's behind the look, we can feel the thoughts, we can feel if we're encountering somebody who is offering us positive energy, encouragement, mm-hmm. a twinkle in the eye. Mm-hmm. We also right. feel the, what you said, the go home. You know right. what I mean? You're not welcome. Right. Those negative thoughts are felt as well, whether they're ever spoken or not. Right. But I think, you know, it's interesting because, well, we are just right. I mean, we do a lot of art shows and mm-hmm. we meet a lot of people. People react even to art like in all kinds of ways. Like some people don't care, some people like, some people interested, some people curious, some people love. And even there, like there's a lot of actually understanding should happen because we don't expect everyone to like our art, right? We don't expect everyone to understand our art. And I think it's also, as artists, we also go through that because some people come to our booth and they say, I don't get it. Some people mm-hmm. say, I don't understand it. But we mm-hmm. don't get kind of like, well, then go back where you came from, right? <laughs> like, yeah. why, what are you doing in my book if you, if, you, if you don't like it? I mean, so I think as artists, we also will look. I think we learned a lot of compassion in a way because people come and people, I mean, they're intimidated because they don't know how to react to the art. Some people are curious, right. but they're too shy to ask questions. Yeah, we are very sensitive to reading what's happening with the collector as they engage. Right. You know, our work is personal. The reactions right. to the work sometimes feels like a reaction to us. Right. So yeah, we do we do kind of feel we're on the front lines with people's reactions right. and, and that. Right, because you put your heart and your soul in your artwork, right? I mean, you there's, so, there's a big process of creating an art piece, but then somebody comes into your booth and they tell you, so what? <laughs> Don't get right. it. <laughs> why, why do you do that? And uh, and it's kind of like it's it becomes personal because you tried so hard to create the piece yeah. of artwork, right? But you learn how to be like say thank you, thank you for looking. Right. <laughs> it's the next. same human. It's the same human. <laughs> next year. You're like but next. You really who's the next that, person right? they can come in your booth and you can maybe have a meaningful conversation with? But <laughs> right, right, right. Right. But it's also it's kind of like in St. Louis, it was like one person and she's like, so what do you do? Like, I don't get it. 
can't you like can't you draw can't you paint and i know i can paint and i can draw right. but well i don't get it so why don't you paint and what do you say i mean you say like well okay thank you interesting uh yeah but one of the things i i like about different work is that element of surprise and when mm -hmm. i first saw your work i thought of it as contour drawings and i didn't realize until i came up close to your work um, right. at des moines this year and I saw that it's it's cuts. It's the lines are cutouts, right. uh, like a relief that you are layering onto paper. So I find that so cool that that Thank I you. was surprised in that way. I well, I call them drawings. Okay. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it's like because <laughs> they are drawings, definitely. But it's so interesting that it's not done with a pen. That you know what I mean. Your ink lines can be quite wide because you can cut the drawings right. from the paper. So tell me about how you came about that process. I'm trained uh, to, to paint and to, to draw, right? And I used to, mm -hmm. I used to paint, I used to draw. And I kind of felt that I had the abilities and the skills and I was able to paint and I was able to draw, but I couldn't relate to my work. I couldn't connect it with my work because I kind of felt like I was doing it because I could do it and I had the skills and the ability. But I didn't mm. feel like it came from my heart and from my soul. It was something like I was doing because I knew how to do it. And, okay. And it's I would look at, I would look at my artwork and I would say, so what? I mean, yeah, I can do it. And people would tell me, oh, it's beautiful, it's nice, I really like what you do. But I couldn't connect with my work. It's funny. It's like oh. one of those feelings when you do it because you know how to do it. But right. I felt like because you've technically learned different techniques and skills and stuff, but it didn't feel like what you wanted to do or what you wanted to express. It's, it's you know, like it didn't speak back to me. You know, it's funny because sure. I mean, when you create your work, I mean, you look at it and you feel like, well, I mean, maybe maybe I can fix here or something, but you enjoy looking at your work because I mean, that's mm -hmm. your creation. This is what you create. I felt like I would look at it and it would feel foreign to me. And I just, you know, it was one of those really? feelings I couldn't really explain. So then mm -hmm. I started, like, I was reading a biography on Picasso at that time and how he would, like, every 10 years he would reinvent himself. He would look, like, into his artwork and try to do exactly. something, something different. Because if, if you look at his early works, you, have, you cannot even tell it was the same person who created his mm -hmm. later works. So, and then I started, like, thinking about, can I challenge a definition what a painting is? or what kind of media I have to use for the painting, like whether it's going to be oils, watercolors, acrylics, or pencils. But can I use, for example, my like scissors? Because I always like to cut. Like, I don't know why. Like, this, mm -hmm. this process of cutting, I always, like, enjoy it, even as a child. And I thought, like, okay. well, can I use my scissors as my brush? Like, oh, I mean, okay. so I started, like, working on it with crazy, like, technique which is like i mean it takes me forever to make every single piece the larger pieces can take up to like three months to make wow. and uh so i started thinking like i'm gonna do like more or less like a sketch or a study and let's see if i can actually use my scissors as my paintbrush okay. and in this series i call them scissor drawings because my instrument is scissors but i want them to have a feel like ink painting, sure. like a Japanese style, like Japanese brush paintings, so Chinese like uh, brush paintings, or like from a distance that would look actually as paint drawings. Yes. And so I started like kind of like experiment. It took me a while till actually I felt comfortable with what I 
what I did. I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of pieces which were terrible. I would never show them to anybody else. It was a well, we all do. Process. I mean, that's how you get from point A to point B, you know, exactly. Right, right. And, and I wanted to just to see it. And I gave myself, told myself five years, if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to my paintings, which I don't connect. <laughs> Maybe like in five years, I'm going to be old and wise and more like a, uh, more understanding. But I got into that. And I like this kind of like when people get surprised and, well, it's paper. We didn't know you can do it with, with paper. Yes. I mean, there are a lot mm-hmm. of traditional paper cutting. There is in China, in Japan, in Germany. The very traditional one that just fold the paper and they do snip, snip, cut, cut. I mean, I cannot do yes. that. Again, because for me, like it has to be like either painting or drawing, which I transfer to the black paper. But I, I suddenly felt like something clicked in me. Something yeah. told me this is what you should do for now. Yeah, there is no really like super logical reason why I wanted to do it. Just my first reason was that I simply wasn't connecting with what I was creating. Mm-hmm. And I think as an artist, you do need to connect to your creations. You do need to feel like uh, right. the part of you. Well, if you don't connect to your artwork, I think as an artist, you cannot really progress anywhere because you end up doing the mm-hmm. same thing over and over and over. Because yeah. it just kind of becomes, I don't know, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, what I think is so cool about how you do your scissors drawings is like the line, it can just have the slightest of movement, but there's such a story that's being told through the line of that piece. You know, I mean, you work very minimally. Line is such an important part of of what we see when we look at your work. But I feel it's like almost like a reflection on our lives because when I decided to go black and white, no background, just like the image for I felt like I was living my life really fast. I was feeling like I wasn't catch up with my life. It seems like like time was just flying and I just couldn't tell okay. like months apart. I couldn't tell days apart. And especially living in big cities like New York, I mean, you're bombarded with so much that, I mean, there is no, yeah. it doesn't get quiet. Like in my neighborhood, it doesn't go like, like at night still the people and the sound and everything. And I kind of felt like I started looking for really big things, but I was ignoring very small things, like very special moments. And oh. I felt like I was like looking for something big, large, but I realized that life is not measured by time. Life is measured by moments we remember for the rest of our mm. lives. But quite often, they're very tiny moments. They're not the big moments. Maybe like somebody smiled at you, somebody gave you a mm. hand to to help you to cross the street. Somebody picked up your phone you dropped because you always walk with your phone around. And, yeah. uh, so are those the moments you're trying to capture in your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I realized that I needed to slow down in the sense I really needed to see the little moments which would make me happy in 10 years. Life teaches us very interesting lessons. Mm-hmm. And I realized yeah. when you look for something big, you get it, you want bigger. But we don't ever look for something small. (laughs) It's interesting, right? We always look for something big, 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 and then we get it, and then we want something bigger. (laughs) And this this is when I realized my life was just going out of control. Like too much, too fast, too too big, too too just too much. Yeah. And it was hard to be satisfied with what I had instead of being grateful for what I had. It was just like, 
I want more and more and more. And just you get more and more, and then suddenly, like, if you empty. Yeah, isn't that an ironic thing to right. to be like chasing the more, and it, the more it's never enough. Right. You know, like you get a new car and you say, like, well, I don't have a car, but that's it. But I don't love this car for the next like ten years and two years. You want another car. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you get your phone and you think, oh, it's going to be fine for a long time. But then one year, like, oh, my phone is old and slow and this and that, and you want another one. And I just realized it's like you would never ever catch up with yourself, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you just would want more and more and more. And uh, and then I decided just. Let's just appreciate a kind word, a smile. I mean, it's true. It's a good lesson. We need to find peace and solace in those Mm -hmm. things. I even find in social media that there can be such an emptiness and a hollowness to all of the activity, all of the buzz, all of the Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't connect on social media, but I can find when the balance starts to get off, if I start feeling like... I don't have what that one has, or I'm not doing what that one does, then it becomes a a negative spiral, and it needs to be like, take a break and kind of get back to the present and be in your own world. (laughs) Right. And so especially right now, social media, like, puts so much pressure. You have to have more people following you, and you have to have this big account, and you have to do the reels and everything. It's like, how about just like something simple, so people can just look and enjoy I mean, I think social media right now gives so much pressure to the people, the way they have to look and talk and all kind of things. Mm-hmm. I think it was a very negative vibe, so I closed my account, my old account. Mm-hmm. Like it was kind of like got out of control with numbers of people. Because mm-hmm. I kind of like on social media, I want to have a conversation with people, like to see what they understand, what they like, what they appreciate, versus just like, 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 like. Mm-hmm. Having a small account, it's, it's a little bit more difficult because they like big accounts and you know how Instagram is. It, it is. Like, it's like, yeah, or or if it's not big, it doesn't get spread and who gets right. shown it and how does the – then it's like it's really more of an issue than of advertising. It's like do you want the small network of close people to communicate with or are you mm-hmm. advertising to a broad base of collectors it's kind of like that's right. the the catch 22 in that whole situation right right what can you do <laughs> you just, i think like it's very important like uh stay true to yourself yeah and yeah just do yeah just do what you feel is the right thing to do instead of trying to compete with everyone mhm so how did that affect your work, your overall body of work? So I decided to go minimal, and I decided that, especially during the pandemic, I decided mm-hmm. that every single piece I'm going to make is going to have a story. So they're not going to be more like random pieces, like something. Mm-hmm. But every single piece, if people ask me, why did you create this piece? I would tell, well, this is the person I met, and this is what, what, kind, of, what kind of interaction we, we have had. I think it's also for me, it's almost like the diary of my life. Like when I create those pieces, it's almost for myself. I remember somebody who was nice to me, who just mm. appreciated me for who, for who I am, who is not looking for anything big, but saying, you're fine. I know you're not the perfect person, but we still treasure you. And I started yeah. like making pieces which... On the, about the moments I treasure, which I'm going to treasure for the rest of my life, whether it's like people I don't know, people I know, maybe like 
I saw a flower somewhere and this flower was so beautiful. So I stopped for 10 minutes at staring in the middle of the street. So it's kind of like, I feel like what I do right now actually helps me to slow down yeah. and to notice special things. Yeah. So your work is, is your diary. Right. I mean, you 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 right. use that that mm-hmm. term on social media, right? So that is it's those special moments that are meaningful to you and that stick with right. you, and that you want to create a piece about it and have it continue that memory going on through time. Right. Like for example, when we met each other in life for the first time, we talked. I might not remember where where I met you. Maybe it mm-hmm. was the morning, where maybe it was somewhere else. But I would yep. remember talking to you, and I think it's more mm-hmm. important not the time. The time frame, but the moment. Yes. Because what what important to me was that on that hot day, on a busy, busy day, you came to say hello to me. Oh. <laughs> but I think this is what it is as humans. I mean, I don't want to sound pretentious, but I want to teach like people like to appreciate little moments mm-hmm. because this is what makes our life special, and this mm-hmm. is what I mean. We can go through difficult moments when like we are some kind of like. Everything like always suddenly happens in a country, whether it's politically, economically. I mean, a lot of people who don't know how to express their emotions, they don't know where to go to. I mean, they need somebody like to help them out, to have some kind of an outlet for their emotions. Yeah. And I just hope like, just like make it like some very simple pieces of art where there's no complex kind of trying to figure out what's going on there. Maybe it would help some people just kind of release either anxiety or worries or fears. I mean, times are tough. Life is difficult. <laughs> Life is difficult. I think it's ironic that you living in probably the busiest city, the busiest location in the world, you've come to the realization that you, you're able to step back and to, to cherish the simple, to cherish the minimal, the interactions that in and amongst what can be complete and utter busy chaos, you're able to step back and, and see the little girl standing on the side of the street with the puppy or whatever, or the birds that fly right, through in the right. air, you know what I mean, up in the sky. Right. And, and, and value that and cherish that. But I think maybe it does help because I think, I think when you move to New York as an adult, I mean, there's a whole excitement about being in New York mm-hmm. and there are things to do and like you have to go here, you have to go there, you have to see. I think when you just kind of grow up here, that's your home. I think like actually you start like looking for some kind of outlets of the emotion and of like this business mm-hmm. and you know the quiet streets, you know, or like streets where like there are not many people. And I think maybe if I lived in a place which was always quiet and peaceful and uh, birds singing, maybe actually I wouldn't actually appreciate those little moments because they're always oh, there. I see, because that takes over more of the the reality space than, than the cherished right, few right. that you that you that you look for and find. Right, maybe it can be because you work out of your apartment building at six o'clock in the morning, and you're worried that there's nobody going to be on the streets, and you're going to be alone waiting for an Uber to take you to an airport. And you see people going already to work, and they have ties on, and they have heels on, and everyone is yeah. already like you think like at six o'clock in the morning. Where did all these people come from? <laughs> Aren't you supposed to be in bed? But people are already there. They're already so. bustling. So what was that like in 2020 when? everything shut down did did new york just take on a whole different feel because i mean did the streets uh, get quiet or was it still pretty hopping no it was 
pretty, pretty empty. I didn't know actually that New York can empty out so quickly mm. and so empty. My apartment building, which has 36 floors, 20 apartments on each floor, was like only like 5% occupied. Mm. So then people just left. You would never think in a city like New York, you suddenly would feel lonely. Mm. Like completely isolated. I think in the beginning, this was the hardest feeling because the isolation. Mm. Because it's not like they were like uh, maybe where you are, or maybe like places emptied out, but people still lived in houses. They didn't go anywhere. So once in a while, maybe you would see your neighbor, you'd go grocery shopping, and you would see, still see people. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's my neighborhood completely emptied out. Wow. And it would be like barely, I would, I still, I had a dog and I would take dog twice a day outside yeah. for. All kind of needs, and you would barely meet a person. You would never see anybody. So it was a really, it was quiet. It was the first time when, even like after September 11 and after other things, I never saw New York so quiet. Mm. No cars. I mean, you would just hear ambulances, which was the most difficult part because you would hear like a lot of ambulances going to hospitals mm. because New York was hit really, really, really hard. Yeah. And so it was in the beginning was was the sound of ambulances, the sirens, and you know that what was happening, that people were taken to hospitals, Mm -hmm. and no other traffic, no planes flying, no helicopters flying, nothing. So it was like so quiet that it was scary quiet. Yeah, it had to feel surreal when you're just so used to activity all the time, and then boom, it just, that shift. Suddenly you felt like this human tragedy happening because, I mean, humans disappeared. It just mm-hmm. disappeared in order to go to a grocery store. You had to make an appointment because you didn't want to have too many people in the store. But on the other hand, the sky was blue. You didn't see any mm. planes flying. The air was really clean. Just because there wasn't traffic to pollute? Right. And then what happened? What happened is a very interesting thing that we knew who was still in the building, especially older people, like people who cannot actually mm-hmm. couldn't go anywhere. So then we got to the next level when you really wanted to help each other out. So it sounded like it was a strong community of people making sure everyone was okay. If somebody needed to go to a hospital or to see a doctor or somebody needs groceries, medication and everything. So suddenly like we created this, we knew like who was like wasn't able to go outside. So you would do you wouldn't really see people. You would knock on the door, stand outside side of the door and ask, do you need anything? Oh, you need some food. So I'm going to buy and I'm going to put outside of your door because people didn't want uh, to see each other. So then suddenly like the best of humans came out, like making sure that your neighbors are fine. And it was empty like till pretty much till I think July, September, maybe. I felt like the city belonged to me and it was a great feeling. Like it was all, to, it, you had it all to yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was a great feeling. Like I felt, oh, finally, I was in New York. And uh, you would walk, I would take really long walks and I would go to the Hudson River. And it's actually, it was, for me personally, as an artist, it was, on one hand, it was a really difficult year because I didn't have any income, right? On the other hand, it was a great year to look into myself. Like, why do I create mm. art? Why do people look at my art? Why do they buy my art? Mm-hmm. What were some of the discoveries you came up with? Uh, the discoveries came up with whether, especially during the hardest times of our lives, right? When especially when something happens, not like on a personal level, mm-hmm. but even on a political level or like, for example, health level, 
people need the art. It doesn't matter what form of the arts. It can be poetry. It can be music. It can be uh, writings. It can be sculpture. It can be glass. It can be paintings. People need because they need, honestly, they need an outlet for their feelings and emotions. There were a lot of discoveries going on. Uh, like my website okay. barely gets any hits, but uh, during the pandemic, people were going on my website, so I, was, I felt very guilty <laughs> because I didn't upload anything. And uh, but I realized actually during the during the pandemic, actually more people look at my website okay. then. And right. so I think so. What I discovered that in a way, we as artists were the voice of many people, with the voice, the eyes, the ears, and the feelings of many people. They need us because they don't know how to say what happens. Sometimes they need to see like cheerful paintings because people mm-hmm. want to have a little bit more hope. Sometimes they want to look at the gloomy, dark paintings because that's mm-hmm. how they feel, right? Because they feel gloomy and dark. Right. So actually we as artists, we kind of in the avant-garde of humans' emotions. That's interesting. And People will need our art. It doesn't matter what happens, mm-hmm. right? Right. Well, maybe it's our job as artists not just to not just to create any work. Like you were saying earlier, you right. were technically good at making this body of work that didn't resonate for you. So mm-hmm. it seems like if collectors want from us that connection or to process their emotions, it's almost like we're doing that emotional work mm-hmm. and we're expressing what we're feeling in our work. And that's what is going to resonate more with people is when they can connect on that deep level to where that creation came from. So it is important to do personalized work. Right. Because I think it's difficult. Like when you don't know what to say or how to say, I mean, you look for something which would make you feel the right way, right? So, for example, you do a lot of public installations, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, yeah. when mm-hmm. people look at your work as public, like it's uh, free, it's available to the public, the play of colors, the play of light, the play of the sunlight, the dark day, I mean, it resonates with people with their emotions, right? I mean, the calm and maybe the gloomy mood, but when they look at your artwork standing somewhere, like people would, it's actually, it would be like a boost of energy, like a happy energy. I will admit our first installation, I did feel that sense of responsibility. At first, um, this was just like, oh, great, we're being commissioned to do this substantial project. And on the one level, you know, you're excited as an artist to be able to do that sort of thing. But then as the project was going along and we realized the scope of it, what it was, was it was a healing garden um, in a Mm -hmm. hospital in Elmhurst, Illinois. And it was a courtyard where all of the children who were battling cancer in that building, Mm -hmm. their rooms were Mm -hmm. going to be looking out onto this courtyard. And it was our job to Mm -hmm. create something that was fanciful, that was whimsical, that would make their experience better. And that's when I had to step right. out. We stepped outside of ourselves to say, this is a big deal. This is this is more than just somebody going home with a piece of your work that, I mean, that's important right. too. <laughs> but when you're like, right. people are battling these really awful experiences that you can somehow be a light to that. I mean, that that's a big deal. Uh, this, one, this is the reason why I think the art is actually, whether people know that, maybe they're not even aware of it, but the art is... In everyday life, I mean, it's a and mm. and it's interesting what mm. you're saying about the hospital because in Cherry Creek and Denver, there's always like a, I wish I remember her name. Like there's a woman who collects like I mean, 
um, artwork for hospitals, for local hospitals. Mm-hmm. So when she came back this year and she was buying some artwork for, like, I guess, local hospitals. So I asked her, like, what hospital she was buying. And one of the hospitals, she said, it was for children with cancer. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting yeah. because, I mean, on one hand, they can bring toys, right? But on the other hand, right. like, I mean, you bring the artwork for children, which, I mean, I don't do really, like, completely, like, child kind of, like, related work. I mean, there's some images of children, but she wasn't buying, actually, images of children. And we were talking, and it's like, well, I mean, they really love the artwork. There's some some of them are in a really bad shape, but they still look at it, and they still react to that, and you put in the rooms, and children look. And, uh, and, and I think that as artists, we do create, like, outlets for emotions we create outlets yeah. for tears i think which is okay for humans to cry when they look at the artwork because it's tears and crying is one of human emotions we create our outlets for laughter sometimes we're not aware of it sure. but they still yeah. relate they still relate to to the art so i mean we do create a lot of like emotional outlets for people whether we mm-hmm. we know that or not, I I think back to an episode that we had last year. Uh, Will talked with Clifton Henry. I come back to him a lot. He had a really a lot of really great information in his talk, and he talks about how something that was an eye opener to him when it comes to artwork, and that is that oftentimes artwork is celebrated for what the intention behind the work was. Mm-hmm. As, you know, mm-hmm. more so, I mean, it's important how it physically turns out and what it looks like and all that, but the intention behind it. So if the intention can be felt from the underlying essence of the work, that that's what is resonates and that's what is celebrated for that work. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I think that's the reason why I stopped painting because I felt I didn't know what the intention was. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I mean it was kind of like I could do it, but mm-hmm. I don't know what what my message was, was the intention was, what what I wanted to say to the world, how I wanted to connect to the world. Mm-hmm. And when going back to Clifton, I mean, I remember when he came back from his trip to Ghana a couple of years ago, and he took this photograph of a boy standing on the big like tire, I think. And mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I love his artwork. I really, I really, I think he's super talented. He's a very nice human For being. Sure. And I was walking by his booth and I suddenly saw this piece and I couldn't mm-hmm. move. I just stood there looking at this photograph because he looked very happy. His face was, he was so satisfied with himself for being able to stand there. I felt like it was a very hopeful piece. The way he photographed it was really, really, really powerful. It well, it well, it was. I believe the name of that piece he he said in the episode is Higher Ground, and it it's so fitting, you know, standing on that wheels around that thing could roll at any moment. He could right. fall off of that thing, right. but yet he's perfectly balanced. If you look into the future, and it right. looks very optimistic. It's it's very it's it a very, very strong piece, and it also looks. I think it was a vision of Clifton of whatever he saw for this boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I wanted to ask you, too, about something I noticed on social this year. You had several opportunities at some of the shows when we came back from COVID. You do the lineup of your fellow sister artists out there, and Mm -hmm. it would be like walking towards the camera. Um, What is that? What is that about? What is that post about? 
I started doing it in 2019, I think. Okay. One time I was talking to somebody, a two female artists, and she felt like she needed like a lot of support because she felt like as a female artist, she was struggling that we're not, I don't even know, remember how she put it together, but female artists were very negative, which, which was very weird because she was pretty like good. She was very talented. She was very skilled, but she said she felt like female artists not going to be like ever like strong, a strong group of artists, which didn't mm. make really sense. But her feelings were that she was in a marginalized group, perhaps, or or like it wasn't respected as being female? She couldn't verbalize them. Mm -hmm. I think she was so low. So I was like, no, there's a strong group of female artists here. They do it for a living. They support themselves. And they're smart. They're talented. They're gifted. They're skilled. They're independent. They're powerful. She's like, Mm -hmm. no, it's not true. It's just it's all like a pep talk. And and, uh, I don't believe in it. So I decided just like to get some female artists and photograph to show to the world we're here and we're we're capable. Mm-hmm, I love and it. It's funny because I used to do it and then I kind of stopped for a little bit because it created like uh, a bit of like negative among female artists. Like why did you invite this one? You didn't invite that. Why did you invite me? Why did you invite this? But the, I put it out there. Whoever wants to come, come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it was kind of like organically arranged and however the word right. spread and whoever right. happened to be around at the time, you took or the shot. Or wanted to do it. Or right. wanted, wanted to. To do, the, yeah. to do it. So it wasn't really like you come, you don't come. So I kind of like stopped for a little bit just to kind of like for people to process about that anybody is invited. We did one in Cherry Creek last year, okay. like when it was in a parking lot. There were like 52 of us, something like that. It was a mm. huge number. Yeah. But everyone was invited. Well, it's sad when something that is meant to engender solidarity and to be uplifting gets turned or felt as a negative or gets communicated as a being left out when the message was, as a group, as female artists, you are bonded together. And as you know what I mean? And you have each other's back and you there are a lot of you and you know what I mean to say here we are and then to have other people take it a different way that had to be kind of hurtful when that wasn't the intention behind it right well I mean the my title for the whole thing was artist friends sisters oh. it was kind of like very straightforward like I mean like we artists we're friends yeah. we're sisters in a sense where we help each other so I think like sometimes I mean it's easier instead of like argue with people and trying to say like actually I didn't do anything wrong because the the call is always open yeah uh, so sometimes it's take it's good like just to take a little break mm-hmm. for them to process because right now like uh, some say well why don't you do that <laughs> right. want to do it again so so it's kind of like uh, so I'm gonna go back to it but I wanted I didn't want to create like a lot of negative. Sure. Feelings in the community because, you know, like gossip, unfortunately, travels very quickly. Yeah. Well, because here's, here's the place to set it straight anyway. Right. <laughs> Where uh, it came from and what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, my intentions were like just, I mean, being an artist is a hard thing. Yeah. Being an artist, I mean, like you uh, you have to prove yourself to the world. You have to show it to the world you're capable. You have to say something to the world. Sometimes you accept it. Sometimes you're not accepted. I mean, I never really thought about myself as a female artist. I always think I'm an artist. I mean, sure. I don't care because for me, like male, female, we're all artists. But for some female artists, I know the struggle. 
mm-hmm. and they want like they want to have more support and more like they need to feel there is a community of female artists helping each other. So the idea was just to show that we're here, we're not going anywhere. So this is it. I mean, nothing was this was nothing like you included, not you included, but somehow as humans, sometimes we mm-hmm. we make wrong turns. Yeah, uh, right. So well, th- think of it this way: the point of that is not about ego or personality. Right. The females right. who are in those shots were a symbol mm-hmm. of the artist community, female right. artist community. Right. So whether you're right. in the photo or not in the photo, it is a bigger theme. It's a bigger right. image a, to be appreciated and embraced. And and another reason for why I wanted to do it for younger artists right now, mm. like for for example, younger girls who want to be artists, but maybe like my mother wasn't very supportive of me to becoming an artist. It doesn't matter whether actually what gender anymore, but I mean, there are a lot of maybe like young kids who don't get any support or right. young girls who don't get a support like I mean who don't think they can make as artists and because there was a group of underprivileged girls I was teaching in New York mm-hmm. a lot of their parents didn't think it was a good thing for them to become artists because they, they felt like uh, you should get like a proper job right the and stigma so about it, how, how are you going to support yourself and, right. and the, and the so, having faith in that whole economic way of life Right. So, like, one of the first reasons why I also started doing because I wanted to show it to these girls and I wanted to show the photographs. And here's a female artist. You can go to the Instagram pages. You can go to their websites. You can see what kind of work they maybe they create. Maybe they can be your role models. And I told mm-hmm. I told them you can. I asked some of the artists like if they can contact them, like if they can talk to them. And so, so one reason why I started doing this photographs just to support the community. Another one is just to show the younger generation of female, let's say, artists who not supported by their families, so whose families think that it's better for them. I mean, we're usually talking about more like underprivileged kids, right. who like uh, you know, like families live from one paycheck to another paycheck, cannot really support their, let's say, the art supplies yeah, and everything. Right. But sure sure to them that yes, I mean there are females who actually make it and it's not an easy path to go, but you you still can do it. You can contact them, you can look at their artwork, you can talk to them. So there were like two reasons why I started doing that. Yeah. The second one is still like I I show them. The first one uh I I'm gonna go back to it. I just took a break because I wanted sure. like the community to process. Yes. Well, I think, you know, back to what you were saying, it is about representation. It's when people don't see themselves in roles, then they don't think that they have an opportunity for those roles. So I think that is commendable that that you are putting that out into the world for that purpose, you know. Right. I mean, there's like a group of girls I've been teaching and they all come from like where underprivileged uh, communities and with very low financial abilities. Mm. Art supplies are really expensive right now. Like so and it can be very discouraging mm-hmm. because thinking like you can make it and so and I whenever I would show them photograph of female artists, I mean they were like, oh, they all like work as artists and they support themselves. So to some degree all of us do that and uh, and we'll look at their artwork, at their body of work, and talk about it different. It's also was good for them to learn different, uh, different media, different uh, body of works, and uh, 
So, I mean, it was like kind of like two different purposes, which work pretty well. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ella, I I start a lot of these talks and I kind of have one intention. And it's really interesting when a conversation takes on kind of a life of its own. And something I really got from from our talk here was just that that sense of optimism with artwork and how important it is to to have that hope, to present that hope for collectors, to for us to put our work out into the world like that. That's a really inspiring thought that, that you've left me with today. Thank you. Thank you. And also, like, I think as artists, we, we do need to remember that we're eyes, ears, and mouth of people. Mm. Because we see, we speak, we talk, and we give them the ability to speak and talk and hear. Yeah. Sometimes as artists, we forget and we just kind of like, we focus on work, 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 and we forget that how much people need us. And that's the reason why they collect the work, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is the reason why they buy it because, and then, and they come back and they buy another piece and they buy another piece. And I think it's actually, it's a really, really strong indication that how much they need us. We need we them. Need them. <laughs> there's, we, we, there's no way around, but uh, if you would think that somebody bought one piece of artwork of yours, or, uh, but they come back for another one. Yeah. Well, it speaks to our, our responsibility as artists to really make those connections and make that personal work, right. you know, not just to make something to sell, because we right. all have the, the need to pay our bills and support ourselves. Mm-hmm. But if, if that was all we wanted out of this life, we would have chosen other careers. That's for sure. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, right. And we, we, and we need to remember yes, that. Right. That, they're, that, that the deeply personal stuff is... Is mm-hmm. what people are, are are looking for. That's what they're looking to, to right, acquire from right, us, and so it's right, our job to keep right, exactly. keep making those discoveries. Right, and then and they keep on coming back because then they want to make a new discovery. Mm-hmm. Well, Ella, this has been a great talk. I appreciate you taking some time and sharing well, a little you. bit about you and your story and your process. I think of you like a philosopher. I mean, you <laughs> you <laughs> you have such a such a deep way of thinking and a deeply personal. You know, you you were talking about how it should be everyone's goal to to put out kindness in the world, and you certainly do that in spades. Anytime I've ever interacted with you, I feel such a a joyful, happy warmth, and I just I appreciate so much about you, and I know so many artists out there feel the same way. I'm gonna cry now. We're gonna finish okay. it. <laughs> I did that to Lynn Whipple. I don't. I don't need to make a make the guests cry on our way out. <laughs> well, she's she's pretty good. I love your art. But right now, I don't want to cry on the camera. But I'm gonna cry right now. <laughs> I'll let you get back to it. Um, so I really appreciate you spending some time with me. Um, of course. No, I enjoyed it. When you start me going, I'm going. I usually <laughs> tell good. people. <laughs> You're like, I'm just getting people, warmed up. <laughs> I know. I usually tell people, give me like an, uh, a kitchen timer. Just put the timer and when the timer goes over. <laughs> oh, well, I can't wait to see you in person next year. And uh, maybe I won't be on a knee cart and I'll be able to give you a big hug. <laughs> thank you. Well, good luck with your surgery. Thanks. And, I'll uh, keep you posted. I mean, I don't, Thank you. I don't think I can help you, but if somehow I can, if you want to chat with me, <laughs> I, I might need. I, I I get real down in the dumps every now and again with this with what I'm dealing with. So right. you sure know how to cheer me up. 
<laughs> well, so whenever you feel like down, just right now figure out how this thing works and give me a call and I'll chat with you. Okay, that's my, my mom. My mom was a pediatrician and oh. she always said like the best medicine is a good conversation. Oh, she did. Yeah, because she said people forget about like uh, pains and like what bothers, they, they, they forget about their fears. When you get into the conversation, you don't think about what's going on with your body. That's a good point. <laughs> I can certainly, I can agree with that point for right now. I can anyway. <laughs> so when your when your pain, when your pain medication doesn't work anymore, I'll Ella. Call me. <laughs> call Ella. Ella. Yeah, the Ella medication. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ella. I appreciate it so much. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's very kind. I feel very honored that you asked me, and uh, it means a lot to me. So and. Uh, I truly appreciate it. And please say hello to your wife. I will do that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Douglas, I think you're the only one between the two of us that that makes our guests cry. What the hell, buddy? Uh, Uh, I... Sorry. Why you got to do that to Ella. Okay. Sorry, Ella. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you lose it on the podcast. <laughs> Wonderful talk, just as we all expected. Uh, there's not anybody more honest on the circuit. I just don't think no, right. uh, you could have chosen a better guest. And I just want to highlight that, you know, that, that conversation that we had about how she was trying to put out to the world this message of solidarity, female empowerment. And how even something that can have that good of an intention, that it would get turned into being like, well, how come I wasn't included? And ego enters in. It's sometimes right. it, it just makes me discouraged. It's like you try and do something good, and then somebody comes in and has something negative to say about it, and it's just disappointing. Well, what I love about her at shows, a lot of times you'll see her at shows, whoever's around, the women uh, who are around, they'll do a, a strong female Right. Kind of 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 all the women that are kind of in that neighborhood or whatever. And they'll they'll just grab people. And I've seen people that I know who don't like other women that are on the other side of that image. It's like, well, you're with the man that I used to be with. And this is the ex of so and so. And it's all kind of they throw it out the window and they pose for the picture. And they're like, you know what? Here we are. We're strong women and we're we're a force. So I don't know. I I like it. I've never heard the negativity before mentioning it. But people saying, well, how come I didn't? Why didn't you invite me? And how can I? Right. I just it's exhausting. Grown ups, goddamn it! We're grown ups. Just do the thing. If you want to do the thing, do the thing. And if you don't, don't. If you can't make it to the big dinner, then then don't go. You know those big artist dinners where it's like twenty five oh. people and they're sitting at a table. I kind of hate those. Yeah. It makes me crazy. And my wife and I talk about that all the time. It's like I love every single person at that table, but. I know I'm going off on a different tangent, but it's like, you know what? You're going to get bad service because you just have a surprise wedding party of 25 people all of a yeah. sudden. You surprise the kitchen. They're going to try to time the food out. So I'm, I, I like to, the separate table and then go visit individually with the people. Okay. But, and it doesn't hurt people's feelings is my point. That's the only segue. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Well, We're grownups. Yeah. And it is important This is one of our goals with the podcast is representation. Another advocacy that we are all working on is the next generation. So for younger women to see that this is a community of women, they're a symbol of, I can do this. I can step into this career. I've got a sisterhood around me, be embraced. There's a market. That's the bigger message that's being put out there with that statement. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Look at us. We're Brene Brown all of a sudden. All of a sudden. All of a sudden. <laughs> all of a sudden. So, get in touch with our feminine side. That's good. That's good. Well, Douglas, I think I'm going to call it. I got a I got a big piece on the easel. I think I can sell to one of my previous clients, which means I'm behind the eight ball for getting ready for Kansas City. So, awesome. Um, this has been a good week. Thanks for the good talk. And thanks for filling me in on everything that went on at St. Louis this week. You were missed, my friend. You were very missed. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Take care, and uh, we'll see you down the road. This podcast is brought to you by the National Association of Independent Artists. The website is naiaartists.org. Also sponsored by Zapplication. That's zapplication.org. And while you're at it, check out Will's website at willarmstrongart.com and my website at sigwithglass.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to be notified when we release new episodes. 